Welcome to Animoa, the animated movie watch. I'm Beffers. I'm Birdie. Today's episode is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And Birdie is flailing. <laughs> you can hear my rings clack clacking. <laughs> flailing and flapping your arms. Sorry. <laughs> we pick our movies from the list of animated feature films on Wikipedia. Any movie with a theatrical release that has a critic's rating of over 50% on Rotten Tomatoes will get its own episode here on Animoa. We are watching these films in chronological order. You have been waiting for this moment. <laughs> waiting for this day. Okay, okay, settle down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, we've got drinks. You have a new drink. I have a new drink. I got myself some bourbon for this episode. <laughs> so you can make it through my flailings and flappings and excitement. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Or so I could make it through some of the discussions we'll be having. Uh, this is true. I still have my, my sparkling water from the previous episode. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, cheers. Please. Let's see what happens. No. No, that was terrible. Um, no. no uh, shit. Uh, oh, this should work. Okay. Ah, okay. <laughs> that, that'll do. <laughs> oh, man, I'm giddy. <laughs> I left you for two minutes and now you're giddy? <laughs> um, look. You, you know this. You know that <laughs> I love Hunchback of Notre Dame. No. I, I will... I, I, and I think this might be what we might end up describing the episode as. It's a flawed masterpiece. It, it is, yeah. Um, because it's there's no denying there are all the makings of a masterpiece in it, but there are enough flaws that it's like, God damn it. <sighs> that said, it's still probably my favorite film of the Disney Renaissance. And I do think it oh. is where it ends. I think this is where the Renaissance ends. Huh. I know some people might argue earlier, some people might argue later. I think this is their last great. But also, Pocahontas kind of fucked things over. Yeah. Pocahontas is the beginning and the end, and then this one happened, and then after that it falls off for me. We'll just have to watch some more Disney movies and see how we feel. We sure will. It's inevitable. But anyway, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Let's get this out of the way. Tell us about your history with this movie. Okay. So I do remember seeing it in the theater. And I do remember enjoying it and hanging out with a friend at the time where we we used to love, like, dancing around to Disney soundtracks and, like, kind of acting out scenes from them and enjoying it enough to that extent. But I wasn't, like, super taken with it until a few years later. (laughs) I think I needed a little bit of time to grow up a little bit. Yeah. Which is actually kind of funny when you think about, yeah. Uh, the age we were when this came out, what, nine years old-ish? Somewhere around there. Nine, ten? Nine, um, it was 96. Was, it was 96, so whenever so, that was. Yeah, yeah, nine, nine. So, you know, some of it was a little bit maybe too adult and maybe a little bit too dark. Mm-hmm. And then a few years later, thanks to a certain character, I was like, wait a minute, let me, let me revisit this, the whole movie. Not just the one character, but the whole movie... And it was just like, holy shit, no, this is really good. And that's when I really was just, like, sucked into it. And I read the book. Uh, and I should point out, this was seventh grade for me. So, yeah, I read the book in, like, early 2000. At the age of 12, I read Victor Hugo. Because you were Because I was obsessed with the character of Clopin Troifu. Yeah. And, and you, you got to experience this. I'm so I, sorry. I did. Um, this was around the time that I was also into Pokemon. Like, I, this was when obsession started hitting me. I don't know uh, what it was about middle school, but yeah, it's, it's when I started, I don't, I don't know if the correct word is like kind of maybe hyper fixating on certain things, but I kind of did. 
Um, we we all did in, yeah. throughout middle school. Yeah, um, we all had our, our things that we were like, oh my gosh, yeah. I love this character. Oh my gosh, I love this show. Yeah. Or, oh my gosh, I, I love may, this musical. may or may not have an illustration of Clopin that you have given me, but really? I don't know where it is. So. Okay, I know I still have um, art on my computer that I found actually today. I had to look it up. And an old fanfic. <laughs> this is one of my earlier fanfics uh, would have involved this. Before that was Animorphs. But also... This movie is a big reason why I decided to get into animation. Oh, cool. And that will be a story for later when we talk about animation, I guess, or when we talk about the character of Clopin. Okay. So cool. I will share that later. Anyway, you, your turn. I don't remember if I it was exposed to this film before you showed it to me in seventh grade. <laughs> really? But, yeah. So wait, you didn't see it? Like when I'm it... not, I don't even remember. Okay. But I do remember like us watching the movie at least once. And yeah. obsessing over Clopin because <laughs> it's Clopin. I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. <laughs> but I do think that if I had been a really big Tom Hulse fan, I would have absolutely loved this movie as yes. much as you did. Yes. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, this all would have been before. I assume either of us would have seen Amadeus. No, I had seen. It. Oh, you had seen Amadeus before. Oh. I. Uh, I, okay. In, in fifth grade, I saw the opening scene of Amadeus oh. where Salieri cuts himself. Oh my god. And that, all the dramatic music, and I asked my mom, what is this? <laughs> and then I was a big Mozart fan. Oh, that's amazing. Because of the oh, drama, which I didn't mean, exist. But it's, it, but it's so good for a movie, though. <laughs> it's such a good movie drama. Uh, I can't actually remember when I saw Amadeus, but maybe it was around the time of middle school, but I don't think it was any earlier, so I think you had me beat there. <laughs> I think you saw it before I did. Oh, man. But anyway, so you you got into it, or you saw it because of me. Because of you. Well, and I appreciated it because of you. Otherwise, I think either I wouldn't have liked it because the, the timing mm-hmm. was off, and we'll talk about that later. Yes. But also... Um, I probably wouldn't have appreciated the music as much. Mm-hmm. Just a, I mean, I think the 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 one thing that cannot be disputed by pretty much anybody, like anybody who might say like, oh, it's not their best, it's not the the the, the music is though. Come on, yeah. guys, yeah, the music's kind of untouchable. Anyway, I don't know where to begin. I don't know <laughs> either. Um, I'm so because excited, though. I. I can't believe I did this, but I I read the book. I'm before this stunned. <laughs> you read the whole thing. Um, yeah, and wow. let me tell you, anybody who wants to read The Hunchback of Notre Dame, get the abridged version, please. <laughs> Save yourself. Oh no. But what really helped me get through this book was reading it while listening to an audiobook. Oh. That just helped me Stay on the page. Yeah. Understandable. Remembering yeah. Victor Hugo's style. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the audiobook I had was read by Simon Vance, and I highly recommend it because he does voices. Oh. I always love it when they do voices. Nice. Okay. I'd be, yeah. I'd, I'd be curious to at least hear what the different voices would be that he'd give characters. I'm not so good at audiobooks, but intriguing. Yes. And a good rec. Quite. And um, yeah, it took me like two weeks to get through it. Just <laughs> I admit I was sitting at work listening to the audiobook. Okay. I mean, hey, that's the only reason why I go to work now is to listen to the <laughs> audiobook. <laughs> hey, whatever gets you through it, I guess. Both work and the book. Mm-hmm. 
Wow, so you read it, and what'd you think? Half of it does not need to be there, hence why you need need it to be abridged. Uh Uh-huh. It was quite boring, but when it was good, it was really good. Yeah. I I remember enjoying it. Um, It's been so long that I I can only probably tell you, like, vague impressions of, like, oh, I remember there there was a character... Uh, named like Pierre or Yehan, um, and of course that's where I learned Clopin's last name, Toy Fu. Like, like I, I knew about that. Like, and I remember obviously the the fact that Frollo was a priest yeah. instead of the Minister of Justice or yep. whatever, and that the ending was much, much more upsetting and dark and sad. Yeah, but more fitting, I guess, for the kind of story it was telling, mm-hmm. it, which was a very different story very from different. what Disney did with it. Yeah, Disney took a story about obsession and turned it into a story about humanity. But granted, the source material does have elements of humanity in it, but no, mm-hmm. it's straight up obsession. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a very different reading of Quasimodo in, in the book versus the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Incredibly different character, but... This is one of those things where it's like, you know what, if, if Disney's going to take something and make it their own and do something good with it, I, I think they, they at least did good things with their changes in this case. And it's better than them taking, you know, historical things that happened and sanitizing them and turning them into weird love stories where it's like, no, but bad, both sides are wrong. <laughs> and I'm still mad about Pocahontas. I'm still mad. <laughs> Well, now we can be mad about the Hunchback of Notre Dame. In other ways, yes. There, there are certain things to be a little um, little bit upset about. And one of the biggest being, I, I guess, are we just going to get this out of the way? Sure. Talk about some of the bigger flaws of it before we go into the, the great stuff that I love to talk about? Yeah. Okay, let's get the, the unpleasantness out of the way. They do not handle the Romani well. No, of course they not. They do not handle the Roma people well. It seems like one of those things where, just like Pocahontas, Disney was, well, not just Disney, but all media was saying, see, we're providing different types of people. And then we have to look back and say, yeah, but what did you do with them? Exactly. This is not correct. You're still doing the same thing that people have been doing historically yes. forever. They're trying. And that's the thing is they, they, they were still trying. They were trying actually to do something right, and it's just they, they they failed to do it in their execution by yes, continuing to play into stereotypical like drawings and depictions of these characters. Yeah. And it's like on the one hand they're saying no, but look, this is a story about acceptance and of of, of you know em- embracing these things. And then on the other hand, it's like but they're also still thieves, and they're also <laughs> it's like wait, wait, what are you trying? What are you saying? Disney, what are you doing? <laughs> Not to mention, of course, um, the 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 use of the the slur throughout the entire movie, which, to be fair, I guess at the time wasn't really considered as such. Yeah. But now it's it's actually been very interesting in doing all my research about this film. Even sources that are like talking about the movie script and everything specifically, it all says Romani and Roma now, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Like, not maybe not all of it. Um, and you still have people like who are gonna like do reviews who use the slur instead. And the slur you're speaking of starts with the letter G. Yes, it refers to the fact that they are erroneously believed to come from Egypt. 
And the book got this wrong so many freaking times. Oh, I can only imagine. I, I don't remember all of it, but I, I, I do know that dude, Victor Hugo was the, the reason why this is all fucked up to begin with, right? Like, like, <laughs> he did and, not help. He did not do any favors for, for the Roma. Yeah. This is also a book about prejudice. Um, mm-hmm. And he uses so many ways to classify Esmeralda. Like, he calls her Egyptian and sometimes Spanish and at one time Italian. <laughs> what is uh, she? <laughs> The thing is, she's not any of those, because, right, she's, isn't she actually, like, somebody was stolen away? Mm-hmm, which is playing out. into yet another stereotype. Let me, sorry, let me sorry, keep going. Sorry. Okay, spoiler <laughs> alert for the novel. It turns out that Esmeralda is French. She was stolen from her mother, we think, by the Romani. We're not entirely sure. I, I think that's the, the insinuation, right? Yeah. And so Esmeralda, whose name is actually Agnes, but she doesn't know that, um, she doesn't know who her parents are because she was a baby when she was mm-hmm. kidnapped or one year old. And so she grew up among the people who Victor Hugo refers to as Bohemian, which seems to, it's a much more general term for all these people who Dom Frollo hate. Yeah. Because it's it's not just people from a certain region he hates. It's not just people from a different, uh, who are a different color he hates. It's just a general... Lower so class about, people almost would be almost considered like a lifestyle. When you think about like an lifestyle. actual Bohemian was, but yeah, it, he. Hmm. Um, I think both Frollo and <laughs> Victor Hugo may, may may hate them equally, but like people who don't History play to the status quo, especially for Frollo because he is an archdeacon mm-hmm. and he is very rigid with the way he thinks that people should be. Of and, and here he sees this dancer. <sighs> who ignites the fire within him, but we'll talk about oh. the characters later. Yeah, we will. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Okay. But, but yes. Um, when I'm referring to the book, I, I may just use the word bohemian because that was the term used most, okay. and it's, it's it's very broad. Okay. And then for the actual people, it's Romani, Roma. You could even call them travelers, I think, was like a, a, a term that's yeah. used to describe like that kind of that kind of lifestyle, actually. I but think. That's, and, that's the thing. Also, they weren't really travelers in the book because they lived in Paris. Yeah, they just in the there. Court of Miracles. Yeah. <laughs> Which is apparently a real thing. Yeah, they were citizens. Yeah. Yep. But uh, they sure weren't treated as such. Yeah. But Well, no, nobody I mean, was really treated well. No, but... Point being that Disney fucked up and continued to other them despite the fact that they're trying to sort of get across this message of like, no, but justice for the people and justice for these people who are being othered. And it's like, you're still, look at the way you're drawing them. Look at the way you're depicting them, guys. It's very similar to the, the Arabic um, appearances in, uh, for like, that's the, 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 the bit a, characters in Aladdin. Aladdin. Yeah. It's very similar to that. And then that also leads us to have to talk about Esmeralda should and we, how she's depicted. Yeah. Should we wait till we talk about the characters or? This is still in the vein of the things okay. that are problems with this movie. So I wouldn't mind okay. mentioning it now. Yeah, let's do and it. And we, we can, we can maybe go into more detail later, but just the idea that she herself is exoticized and, um, what's the other word? Sexualized. That's the word. Especially when she doesn't need to be, because when she dances at the, the, What's it called? Feast of Fools? The what? Feast of Fools! <laughs> like, the way she's drawn, like, there's shading on her dress that is so 
I don't even know what word to describe it, but it this, that shading just emphasizes certain features, mm-hmm. certain female features, and it doesn't need to be there in order for Frollo to be like, hey, look at this lady. Yeah, it's... Like, obviously, yes, the, 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 the point of the character is that she, she does... Well, not the point of the character, but one of the plot points is that Frollo is into her <laughs> because he's you know, he finds her attractive and everything. Yes. So there needs to be a certain amount of attractiveness to the character. It's just, it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence that she happens to be a POC and gets depicted this way and gets sexualized and fetishized and exoticized and everything. And it's like, God damn it. But at the same time, you do have the fact that she's a very strong character who has a really, a a lot of really admirable qualities to her. And yet, also at the same time, the way her she's designed, her facial features and everything, she basically just looks very much like a white woman who's just been painted dark. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the other Romani women who are depicted in the film have very exaggerated face, uh, facial features mm-hmm. and other features and everything and are kind of um, depicted in a way that one would consider aesthetically unpleasant um, with like bulbous features and weird stuff like that. And it's just like, mm, there are problems here. And I, I I, know you guys see them, right? You guys see this? You Do you see this problem that you've created for yourself? It's like some, someone had to draw them that way. Yep, someone did. Someone made a decision. Yep, and made a decision to make her look the way she did and the way they looked as well. So that is something that just has to be acknowledged. Yeah. It must be acknowledged, and it sucks, and it's something that I cannot ignore when I look at this movie, unfortunately. Um, well, I have a question for you. Yes. Back when you were obsessed with this movie, did you notice that? I didn't notice a lot of stuff because when I was younger. You, your eyes were trained on I was back. looking at Clopin. No. Um, <laughs> the there, colors, there's... Duke. The colors. The colors. <laughs> <laughs> that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> um, no. Uh, I... I think I was just sort of taken by, like, yes, she was depicted as a very attractive and hot (laughs) character. Like, that I I could see. But I don't think it occurred to me at the time that this was something that happened with darker-skinned characters than not. Mm -hmm. Because, like, if you look at... Again, we've talked about this before with, like, Jasmine and... um, I guess Esmeralda, and then eventually with, like, Kida and, like, all these other characters. It's like... There's a certain trend with the way they're dressed and the way they're... Again, it's, it's the exoticism. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's all... They, they wear less clothes. They usually have the bare midriff. They don't always, but they, it's, there's usually something about that for all of them. And it sucks. Mm-hmm. But no, that's not something I noticed as a kid because I wasn't examining that sort of stuff. I, I didn't really have the, uh, <laughs> the, the mental capacity or the, the familiarity with the world or with analysis or any of that. I was just looking at <laughs> a fun Disney movie. I was at least able to appreciate some more of the more mature themes yeah. and the music and a lot of stuff at the age of 12. But yeah, it, it took a few more years before I started like examining other parts of it and really realizing like, okay, there's some questionable stuff happening here. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All, question. <laughs> all kinds of questionable things happening and during different parts of the movies in different ways. Mm-hmm. Not just physical depictions, but also character depictions. Yes. The fact that um, you still have, like, you've got her basically pole dancing. Yeah, that was 
That's um... I mean, it, like, it was... It was cool because I was like, hey, she has a spear. That's awesome. But then she does the pole dancing thing on it. And I'm like, oh, Ah. Mm -hmm. did you have to do that? Mm -hmm. Oh. And this movie is rated G, everybody. It, uh uh-huh. Somehow, somehow, miraculously, this ended up being rated G. I don't really understand how, who did they bribe? (laughs) How did they get away with that? No, they bribed the archdeacon. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, David Ogden steers. (laughs) Anyway, uh, good lord. I, I, like, what other unpleasant stuff to talk about before we get into the good shit? I don't know. Um, um, well, I mean, we'll have things that displeased us about the whole movie peppered throughout this whole yes. discussion as we talk about characters, especially. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you already know. We already know. But that's not like, um, like, we're, we're talking about deeper flaws with, like, you know, depictions and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Whereas total flaws, yeah, some of that can be blamed on certain characters uh, in the yeah. way they're written. There were lots of changes in the plot and the theme and the ending. Indeed. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I, I, I think a big one was what you mentioned with the obsession versus, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, and I don't know where to talk about this. This is the thing, so we're just going to be all over the place yeah. here. But, you know, Qu- Quasimodo in the Disney movie... Sweet lad. We love him. Yeah. But he doesn't, quote unquote, get the girl. <laughs> well, that's debatable. <laughs> After Esmeralda dies, he, like, steals her body and holds up with it. I'm... So technically, he physically has a girl with him. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. That's not where I was going with that, but okay. <laughs> I know what you meant. <laughs> but yeah, this is a very dark ending. Um, I'm talking about the movie. I know. But... Talk... I'm... I went back to the book. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to say he doesn't get the girl in the movie, and part of that is kind of similar to the book in the fact that Quasimodo was kind of, he, he was he was putting Esmeralda on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Like, he was he was thinking of her like an angel and like this this almost like unattainable thing. So, of course, she kind of became unattainable to him in a mm-hmm. way. And it, it really took him kind of like understanding that they're, they're just seeing, they're, they're, they're just people. He just wanted acceptance. And she gave that to him. And that's really what he wanted ultimately. It wasn't that he needed her love, like stupid gargoyles are saying that <laughs> like um no that's that's not his character arc and his goal in the disney movie it's it's about acceptance and being this the the, the man he is on the inside and like not worrying about how it's reflected on the outside yeah. um and having people accept him for who he is if there was one thing that Disney did well in deviating from the original to make this into a kids movie. Mm-hmm. That was good. That acceptance yeah. at the end. And also I like the part where he joins Esmeralda and Phoebus' yeah. hands together. That that's that's him adorable. understanding that yeah, yeah, he 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 doesn't need her romantic love. He has her, her her the love that comes with her acceptance and he's okay with that. And so he's just like, yeah, you know what? I'm content. You guys, I see you are in love. Let's do this. Yeah, this it also fine. shows his appreciation for the two of yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The but, real journey was the friends we made along the way. Yes, absolutely. What I was going to say is like the whole beautiful contrast of Heaven's Light, him singing about how she's this mm-hmm. angel, and then Hellfire, where you've got Frollo singing about his issues. <laughs> <laughs> They're both obsessing over her in mm-hmm. very different ways, and they both don't really quote unquote get her i I don't like saying oh get the girl because it does sound like oh she's a trophy to be won but you you know what i mean though right like they don't they don't attain the thing that they think they want 
And for Quasi, it's yeah, again, he it's not what he wants, what he needs is the acceptance. It's not um Frodo Fro Frodo. <laughs> Frodo. Frodo. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Oh, Frodo. Frollo. Oh, Mr. Frodo. No. <laughs> Frollo. Uh, I need to leave that in. Frodo throws the ring into the hellfire. All right, let's do it. <laughs> there it goes. Um, no, Frollo. <laughs> I can't it's focus a, anymore. It's a stupid name. It's so Frodo. funny. Fro- Judge Claude Frodo. He is just lusting. Like, he, 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 he thinks he wants her. He, he's just lusting over the the first damn thing he sees that like lets him indulge in this this vice of his that's buried deep down this evil evil man <laughs> oh, um, i think it's more compelling in the book because he is a priest it's interesting and, yeah and that adds to how tormented he is by it i um, I, I do enjoy a good tormented priest character yeah <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of those in literature <laughs> didn't say anyway Yes. Okay. Good lord. We're we're all over the place. What do we want to? Well, we're already we're kind of talking about characters. Characters. We could just go. Just go down the line. But yeah. Okay. Um, we could do voice actors and also compare their storylines with the book and also mm-hmm. maybe animators supervising animators and some of their animation as sure. well. Sure. Yeah. It's impossible not to talk about that for this movie because there's amazing animation in this movie. It's why it's one of the greats. So let's talk about the title character, Quasimodo. Quasimodo, the hunchback of Notre Dame. He's he's actually named after the second Sunday of Easter. What? Yeah, because that was that was the day that Frollo found him. Oh, okay. And adopted him. Interesting. Yeah, that's much nicer than. Yeah, but no. Half formed. Disney was like half formed. Quasimodo. Anyway, um, no, Quasimodo, what, what a lovely character. He's so instantly likable. And let me also say that one thing Disney got right was his character design. Yeah. Because when he was described in the book, I like pieced together the features that were written about mm-hmm. and what came up was the, the Disney version, Quasimodo. Yeah. They yeah. got that right. They nailed it. They, they, they made him... Yes, sort of de- deformed, and he had the hunchback and everything, but they also, in Disney fashion, made him s- still kind of endearing mm-hmm. to-, to look at and to obviously listen to. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's obviously a hero of the story because he's a tenor. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> he's got to have a, a tenor protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom Hulse did such a good job singing. I love his um, rendition of Out There. My criticism about his songs is that the music was louder than the voice. Oh, he has kind of a, a soft voice, a and so you, you can't hear it very well over the music, so you can't really appreciate it. It's there, though. At least <laughs> you can you can hear his his very fast vibrato, but I really like it. Yeah, I, I think it suits. I read years ago something online about how Quasimodo is actually a princess because he his mother died. He's locked in a tower. He has his I Want song. Yep. He is. He is. He's a Disney princess. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, Esmeralda doesn't get to be, so I guess somebody needs to. Yeah. <sighs> yes. No. So, yes. Quasimodo. Tom Holes. Okay. Supervising animator. We're bringing back James Baxter. Cool. The master of turning cameras around characters. And boy, does it show with Quasimodo oh, yeah. in two very specific scenes that... I had always seen these moments and thought, man, those are such gorgeous animation. And now knowing what I know and be like, oh, fuck, it's James Baxter. Of course it is. It makes so much sense. And those scenes were? 
Um, so one of them is during out there when he's sliding down the the sort of gutter, I guess. I don't yeah. know what you call that thing. And like the water's splashing up and the camera's turning and then he lands and there's water and then he sort of sits down on the edge and like looks out over Paris. Uh, of course. Of course. Like it's gorgeous. Like the camera's turning the whole time and he's sliding and it's beautiful. The other one is when he rescues Esmeralda and climbs up and declares sanctuary. Yeah, the where he's swinging from a rope mm-hmm. and saves her from, and, from death. Yep, and then when he's climbing up and you also have the camera turning again. So you've got like a 3D cathedral that was like, it was built in 3D. Oh, and cool. then the wireframe of it was like printed onto pages so that he could animate and draw on top of that. But because he's got his bizarre computer brain... I don't know how it works. He just sees everything in 3D. He's able to just like do the perfect like turning of the bodies and the clothes and everything and movement even as it's all happening. And just that moment when he holds her up and sanctuary. Yeah, it's so in the music and the cheering. Oh, what a great moment. Even animation and music and everything. That's just highlight of the film. I am so glad that they made that scene so well done because that is straight from the book. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I do. I do. I do remember that. But yes. Quasimodo, incredibly likable character, and he's supposed to be deaf from ringing the bells. Yeah. Well, he's but not here. He's not. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> um. Again, he's he's somehow clearly a very good person, despite how he was raised and who raised him. So as a testament to his strength of character and morality, that not even Frollo could fuck him up in this version anyway yeah uh, moving on shall we do Esmeralda yes they aged her up for this um, yeah I seem to remember she was pretty young in the book yeah she was 15 or 16 Ooh. and everyone kept referring to her as girl uh, even the people who were uh, lusting after her or married to her right? especially <laughs> the people who were lusting after her does she marry the yeah she Pierre whatever his face Pierre is? Gringoire Gringoire thank you yeah um like, we think he's going to be the main character, but he's not. He right. He disappears. Like, Bye. <laughs> he's like in the, he, he's about to get hanged in the Court of Miracles, which is something they kind of carry over into yeah. the movie, but just different characters. But anyway, I do remember that. I do remember that. I remember weird amounts from that book, actually, but yeah. just not like great details, just like little bits and pieces throughout. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, that that's a great way to describe Pierre Gringoire too. Little bits and pieces throughout. <laughs> that's hilarious. Anyway, Esmeralda, Esmeralda. Yeah. I like Esmeralda. Yeah. I really do, and I always did. I love her song. Oh my god, "God Help the Outcasts" is a beautiful number. It's very short, and it's not like not a lot really happens with it. But it's it, it kind of beautiful in its simplicity of like like the structure of the song. It's just sort of like this. Middle section, back to this. It, there's there's not a whole lot of variety in it, but that doesn't hurt it, I don't think. I think it's it's fine the way it is. I just sort of find it interesting compared to some other songs that are more structurally complex or have either more verses or mm-hmm. more anything. This one's pretty just boop, boop, done. But that's, um, that can be nice. Too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, this isn't even her part that she sings, but the, the bit where it's the... Uh, I ask for help, I ask yeah. for and then I ask for love I can't possess. That part is so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then there, how that, that just builds up, and then her I ask for nothing. Ah, it's so beautiful. Um, but, but she is asking for something. She is, ultimately. <laughs> she's saying she's not asking for something for herself. Oh, yeah. That's the yeah. point. And everybody else is asking for personal things, and 
kind of selfish thing. She's just like, I just want my people to, to please help. I would, ah. I ask for not to die, please. Yeah, please, please not die. <laughs> but, um, no, Esmeralda, very strong female character. I uh, appreciate that about, especially a, a, a 90s character. <laughs> like, yeah. She's the, the the bit where she like yells justice with like the dagger in the air. I, that that's what I think of when I think of Esmeralda more than like her pole dancing or even the God all the outcasts. I think of justice. It's like <laughs> fuck yeah, you go girl. <laughs> Love that moment. I like the part where uh, she's about to get captured by the guards after she dances, and she's like, "Oh, what's a poor girl to oh. do?" And then she blows her nose and disappears in a puff of smoke. Yeah, that part's pretty awesome. And then of course you get immediately after that witchcraft the best <laughs> gif in the history of memes <laughs> okay maybe it's an exaggeration but one of the best from Fro- frollo i'm gonna i'm not gonna call him frodo again you will i will. You will damn it esmeralda her uh supervising animator was tony fusil if i'm saying that name right uh that's the mufasa supervising supervising animator which cool. um interesting jump from that to this well if, you, you could see it in the hair <laughs> yeah, fabulous hair. Yeah. I want that hair. No, apparently uh, Andreas Deja, the one who did like all the previous Disney villains like like Scar and Jafar, and mm. he was wanting to do Esmeralda, but I guess it just didn't work out. <sighs> um, but that would have also been an interesting jump from like all the villains to Esmeralda. <laughs> she was played by Demi Moore. Oh yeah, we didn't even guess... mention that. But I... not her singing voice. Oh, okay. That was not her singing. Apparently she did a bunch of demos and stuff with Mankin and Schwartz and Fetcher was like, you're going to need to get somebody else. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I, She just couldn't quite handle it. Hmm. You know, fair enough. She's got kind of um, a huskier voice, a lower voice yeah. um, with the her speaking voice. So, hmm. yeah. Hey, good on her for at least trying, though. <laughs> Uh, what was her singing voice? I don't think I have that written down, though. Do, 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 boobly doops. Heidi Mullenhauer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Broadway. Um, ah. I think so. She was great. <laughs> Since we talked about Esmeralda, we also have to talk about the goat. Jolly. Jolly. Yeah. Jolly's fine. Um, Jolly doesn't talk, so that's a plus. That is a plus. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Jolly is the true hero of both the book and the movie. I do. Yeah. She has the goat in the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And the goat lives! Yay! <laughs> oh man, if, if it's like the dog lives! And then Pierre Grangois ate the goat. No! no. <laughs> no. <laughs> he came back just for that. No, Jolly is a fine sidekick character mm-hmm. as they go. I think they were continuing to run with the uh, what they did with Pocahontas, where the animals didn't talk. They were like, okay, let's carry that over. Yeah. These animals don't talk either. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Except if only they'd done that with the gargoyles. Anyway. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll get there soon. Uh, um, do you want to do Phoebus or Frollo? Phoebus. We're Phoebus. saving Frollo. Um, yeah. They made him a very likable character. In the, they did. In the book, he is a liar and a womanizer, and he's engaged to someone else. He's a shithead. He is a shithead. No. In, in, in this movie, uh, Phoebus is much more likable and charming, and a lot of that is owed to his voice actor, Kevin Klein. Yeah. Who... Did so much to make this a likable character. I feel yeah. it's it's a lot of it is in the vocal performance and in his delivery of the lines and yeah. all of it. Like, I think the only thing we're missing is him singing. That seems kind of unfair. We don't get Kevin Klein singing. Mm-hmm. Boo. Yeah. Interestingly enough, in the book, Esmeralda is the one who's obsessed with him. Yeah. 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 I do remember that. It's it's like it's not like the goat write his name or something. 
Yeah, because she taught the goat to write his name because she's so obsessed. She's with him. so upset. She's a teenage girl. I guess it's yeah, accurate. You know what? A hundred percent accurate. But no, in 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 the movie, uh, I I want to say, uh, well, first of all, supervising animator Russ Edmonds. I'm not actually sure what else he did in terms of like, this. Might have been his like big first like supervising animating thing. He might have done like other smaller characters before this and other animation. But and I don't know if he did the character design, but I know I watched or read something where he was described as a rectangle. Phoebus is a rectangle. <laughs> Everything about him is a rectangle. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Yeah. He kind of is. He's just he's got the broad shoulders. He's just kind of shaped like that. Even his his chin, his beard <laughs> is all squared off. It's just what he is. And I wouldn't call him a square. I think he is like it'd be easy to to sort of consider him a pretty vanilla character and kind of boring. And he's kind of not, though. He, he, he could be worse. He could be worse. He actually learns things, like yeah. how to say no to Frollo. And... Yes. And I can I can buy the relationship between him and Esmeralda. Yeah. I, I, I buy it. And yeah, he, he he's a good dude. He actually becomes a good dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And now... Oh, Frollo. Let me okay. get my bourbon. I, yeah. I'm going to take a drink. <laughs> You're not drinking anything of substance. It doesn't matter. It's still a drink because I'm talking so much. I need... <laughs> Tony fucking J. Oh, my God. Love it. He is the perfect Frollo. He is. And I loved hearing that him doing this role or, like... I, I, I forget if he, like... Want, like asked to do it or, or how it worked but basically it was described as his bid for immortality hmm. what a great way to describe wanting to be in a disney film and be kind of Im- immortalized as a famous disney character yeah. bid for immortality and i think he succeeded you know he already played a villain he did in reboot oh i was thinking the the, the asylum guy in uh, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, that too. <laughs> he was yeah. a villain and there he too, did technically. That too. He was Frollo in that. I love it. <laughs> uh, uh, I actually posted like an episode of Reboot on our Tumblr. Our new Tumblr. Oh, yay! Our Tumblr is Animoa. Animoa.tumblr.com. Oh, yeah. And yeah, Tony J just is the absolute best actor in the entire show. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. the bar is pretty low, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Frollo, uh, arguably, I don't know if I want to say he's the best Disney villain, but he's way up there. He is the most realistic. Yes. He's probably the most villainous Disney villain mm-hmm. um, in, in his realism and how utterly terrifying he is in that realism. Yeah. Because <laughs> this, is, this is a person who 100% could have existed and has existed. <gasps> I have a very interesting quote from the book. Oh. Because he is consistently talking about fire or fire is used to describe him. Really? And so that makes me really appreciate his villain song more. Oh, wow. Okay. And he has this entire scene where he's talking to himself about the concept of fire. Because by this point, he is fully enraptured by Esmeralda. And he's ah. like in full woe is me mode. Ugh. And here's... A description of him that I was really taken by. Okay. What was that infernal fire which sometimes broke forth in his glance, to such a degree that his eye resembled a hole pierced in the wall of a furnace? Whew. I love it. <laughs> Whoever translated this was awesome. Yeah. No, that's, uh, huh. that's amazing. And yes, Frollo, you cannot 
talk about him without talking about Hellfire in the same breath. Yeah. Because um, that might be the best Disney villain song. Yeah. Maybe. I think I think it is. And it's one of the parts where they stuck to the source material. Yeah. Um, in the scene where he's, you know, thinking about fire, he says, One fixed idea possesses me and sears my brain like fire. Ah! And I just imagine um, Schwartz like and Mencken fire. just... Yes. Yeah, they did their homework. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Um, so Frollo and his obsession and his corruption and his absolute refusal to take responsibility for any of his dark actions and everything and always like always finding a way to shift the blame or to describe himself as blameless what a fascinating character like even without the priest angle from the book this is still a man who thinks that that, you know being a minister of justice it's Mm -hmm. still he he's in a position of authority and he considers himself uh uh, a righteous man as he says and 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 for him to Really not be at all. We, we we know he's not. He's he's a despicable human being who's ready to drown a child because he's decided that this thing is a monster. So yeah, yeah. no, I, he, I wouldn't. I won't be judged for this. You know. Yeah, he's so compelling in both versions because he has actually adopted two two people under his care in the book. There's his, his younger brother, Jehan Frollo. Jehan. Jehan. It's French. I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know. I say Jehan. <laughs> it might be Jehan. Um, and then he adopts Quasimodo. Yeah. And I don't know. And he didn't need anyone to come up to him and say, "Hey, you shouldn't kill that little <laughs> little boy." He actually takes him in, mm-hmm. probably with the sole purpose of bending this child to do his will, which they address in the movie as well by him saying like. Perhaps this this child will be of use to me someday, mm-hmm. kind of, with his creepy evil grin. <laughs> um, and sure enough, does. But yeah, there, there's oh man, there, what, there's so many things wrong with this man. Like he's so also got his like vendetta against the Romani people. Yeah. Like just absolutely despises them and everything they represent. And we don't really go into why, but we kind of don't need to know why because there are just people like that. Who yeah. just decide like this thing is different, so I hate it or I fear it, and I want to get rid of it. Yeah. Um. And that's just sort of seems to be his outlook, and he's just decided this is the problem. This is the problem, not me. <laughs> They're the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and but 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 circling back to Hellfire. Mm-hmm. God, dang it! It's 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 amazing the way he, even as he's lusting after her, he still doesn't really take responsibility for his own feelings yeah he's saying that god made devil stronger than the man than man like in that one amazing climactic moment which is probably (laughs) the best part of the song was the fire swoops back into the fireplace and it's just so good um but yeah the fact that even then he's just saying like no this is actually god's fault for making the devil be this way It's not my fault that she seduced me. <laughs> and it's like, what the shit? This, the man is so deluded. I love it. He's what an amazing villain. It's because, it, again, it feels so real. Like, yeah. it's so people, so many people can delude themselves that way. At the same time, he still has those Disney villain tropes because yes. his clothing is red and purple and black. Yes, it is. And he, he kind of has a cliff death. He does. It is, because it's not a cliff. But it's not a cliff, but it's, false. it's stone. Yes. Yeah. There's stone involved. 
He's he's got the long features. Yeah. Some of that's a little questionable. Some of that's a little bit Tony J himself. That's true. <laughs> which yeah, that's that's true. They 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 do add a lot of as as we've said before, uh, animators like to add elements of voice actors to their designs. And, and what a face Tony J has! Oh in my general. gosh! Yeah, rip. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, Frollo. So talking about his supervising animator, this is where I'm going to geek out a little bit. I've already geeked out enough about James Baxter that yeah, like, you have. and in previous episodes. Now it's time to geek out about Kathy Zielinski. So Kathy Zielinski was the supervising animator for Frollo. First of all, women animator, supervising animator, fuck yes. But she (laughs) had previously worked on, oh, you know, Hexus. (laughs) Um, And as well as, oh my god, I wrote it down. Uh, Jafar in his beggar form, and as the snake. Mm. And then eventually... This is the thing that got me, is realizing like how much I loved her animation on Frollo and everything, the, the, the movement, and the, the really good stuff. God, that, the geeking out over that animation, like so much of it is so good. She eventually went to the DreamWorks, and we'll talk about her when we cover this episode as well, but she was a supervising anima- animator for Zekel Khan in The Road to El Dorado. Oh, all right. <laughs> Interesting, fun <laughs> fact. Um, anyway. Amazing. Since we're talking about furlough animation, yes. uh, you know how when girls wear a really big skirt and when they sit down, they lift up the side before they sit yes. down? Yes. Furlough does that. Oh, of course he does. <laughs> I love on his hat, his flowing, the red um, sort of trail, mm-hmm. the, the veil thing, whatever. I don't know if it's got a name. I, I, I love how it's animated throughout. Yeah. I love his expressions and I love his hands. His hands do a lot of really cool, expressive things. The long bony fingers. There's oh, so much yeah. you can do with that. Jafar fingers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Although villains in their long fingers, man, I don't know. It's weird. I have long fingers. Oh no, villain! Well, no. I always knew I was a villain. Ah, yes, <laughs> not surprised. <laughs> oh, um, when Esmeralda is doing her big dancing show, watch Frollo's face throughout it because yes. he looks afraid. Yes, that was a really good touch. I love that. Yeah. And, oh, God, speaking of watching Frollo's face when he's interacting with Esmeralda, when he sniffs her, mm. God, it's so uncomfortable. And and then her face, when he's talking to her, she makes this amazing, like, disgusted, like, terrified <laughs> face. It's so good. Like, it's got, like, the little wrinkle on the nose, like, oh. <laughs> um, Anyway, amazing character. There's probably a million more things to say, but we gotta keep moving, unfortunately. Unfortunately, um, we can't make a whole episode about Frollo. Yeah, unfortunately, we have to move on to, like, I don't know, Clopin? Yeah. I guess. I guess we should talk about Clopin. <laughs> okay. He's he's funny. I, I will always remember <laughs> just watching this movie with you for the first time together in seventh grade. Oh, and God. Like, we have some awesome music, and all of a sudden, fool! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Clopin is, in, in in the movie, he serves the role of, like, kind of a narrator. Mm-hmm. He, he's sort of like an MC narrator sort of character who's a little bit omniscient, because he, he seems to know a lot about Quasipodo's history and that whole thing. It's like, okay, well, yeah, he might. He's also, like, the community storyteller, so he would he know is. these things. And also he's, like, the king of the Roma in, yeah. in their court of miracles. Like, he's, he's the leader, so it makes sense that he would know something about, like, what has happened in the history of these people. Like, with if with, with Quasimodo, we didn't talk about this. Quasimodo is technically 
part of that yeah. group as well, yeah. except the way he's drawn wouldn't suggest that. And I'm not sure how I feel about that, except for there might be like a genetic explanation for that, where mm-hmm. because he's got this these these um, this, this deformation or anything like that, maybe some sort of genetic recessive traits he has, which is why he's pale and red hair. Could ask, have to be with his parents, you know. Well, we, we saw his parents we, in the movie. Yeah, we did. Yes, but that's know. what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, Most I, of the time, I'm talking about the movie. I just read the book. I know, but we also just watched the movie. <laughs> anyway, Clopin. Yeah, basically, narrator uh, hops in with the uh, the festival of fools. He he sings uh, that song. He topsy turvy rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sings court of miracles song, and of course, he sings the opening, the bells of Notre Dame, which is uh, after Hellfire. Just the, like, signature song of the mm-hmm. movie. And uh, Alan Menken and I agree that it's the best Disney opening that he's ever done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so good. There's only, I think, one other animated opening I think that might beat it out, and it's not Disney. Is it Prince well, of Egypt? Uh, I was going to say, we'll get there soon. But yeah, you're right. It's Prince of Egypt. Okay, we'll get there. We'll, yeah, <laughs> we'll so talk about it. Our listeners know we will be geeking out. Oh, hell Yeah. yeah. Um, interestingly, Stephen Schwartz was involved with that as well. Um, anyway, Bells of Notre Dame. Um, so part of the reason why I think I liked Clopin so much was the voice. (laughs) His voice actor being, for the longest time I said Paul Candle, because I wasn't sure how to say his name, but I actually, I found um, an interview with him, a podcast, I think, where they got him on, and they said Paul Candel. And I'm like, you know what? I honestly don't know. I can't find a whole lot of material about him or how you even say his name. So whatever, Paul. Um, <laughs> it has an incredible voice, incredible tenor voice. Yeah. His, his, he hits a fucking D5, yes. the high D, at the end of Bells and Notre Dame. Yes. Is a note that I'm forever going to fan over. Like, because <laughs> for the rest of my life, I will just, just like, it's so good. It's... It's not as good, I don't think, in the reprise it is, as it is in the, the opening. Mm-hmm. And I really wish the chorus didn't drown it out and they didn't mix it the way they did so you can't hear it as well. Yeah, maybe this whole soundtrack had some mixing issues. It might have. Or maybe maybe the note couldn't sound as good. I don't know. But I doubt that because it sounds so good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Really just... I, I, I thought it was just such a fun character in that he... He seems to know so much, and yet he's still a part of the story and gets involved with it. Like, throughout um, Topsy Turvy, he, like, notices Quasimodo. Quasimodo? Quasimodo. He notices Quasimodo throughout the whole song and is, like, trying to, like, keep him from hiding mm-hmm. and, like, bring him out into the limelight. It's almost like he knows, like, he, he needs this to happen in order to, like, further the story. <laughs> So yeah, he almost becomes like this weird little trickster god character who's just sort of dancing around sidelines. So he's Loki. A little bit, which also explains a lot. Um, <laughs> but uh, also then in the Court of Miracles, when we see like, oh wait, yeah, he he's just, he's the, the leader of the Roma. He's, he's in this position of authority among them. He's not just this kooky jester character off to the side. He's gonna kill them. Oh shit. Um, but he's still having fun during that song too. <laughs> Boy, howdy, is he ever, with all the costume changes and stuff. <laughs> um, fun design of the character, too. Excellent um, supervising animator, Michael Surrey, who also worked on Timon. Which you can kind of see a lot of the hmm. kind of lanky character animated yeah. stuff, I guess. Some similarities there. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, can I exactly describe why I liked the character so much? Not really. I Just like all these little things add up. Because you gravitate towards the lanky, boisterous, colorful side characters. Side characters, yeah. Yeah, I guess I do like them. And he was probably one of the ones that sort of set that all off. <laughs> so I was like, no, so I like characters who are like Clopin. <laughs> he was the first. He might have been the first. But anyway, now I can tell the story about animation and okay. how. Okay, okay, just quickly. Quick. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, I, I, I think at this time I had started to draw like little animated doodles in the corners of like my notebooks and stuff for mm-hmm. school, uh, a la the Animorphs books. The Animorphs books always had like them morphing in the corner oh, of the books. Yeah. If you flip through like a flip book. You get the human to the animal. I love that. I would so, always look back and see, okay, how far am I into the book? Because oh, they're, they're halfway. halfway. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was drawing stuff like that. So that was technically the first thing that got me, like, I was drawing morphing animations in, like, the corner of notebooks and stuff. And then I started playing around with other things. But the one that really kicked it off, though, was after I watched Hunchback again, you know, around that time and was, like, fascinated by the way Clopin was moving and animating and stuff. And what I did eventually, is I cut out a bunch of pieces of paper into squares, like, you know, just like eight and a half by 11 pages, cut them into matching squares, had them all in a handful. I sat down in front of the TV, went to the scene in the Court of Miracles where he says, now that we've seen all the evidence, wait, I object, overruled, I object, quiet, dang. And I just paused frame by frame and drew what I saw. Wow. And I, I went that whole scene, that whole sequence, which is like, that's a few seconds of animation. But I did it. And I was so proud of myself with what I ended up with, because it was like, oh my god, there it is. And obviously, yes, I was just, I wasn't tracing, I was observing, but I was drawing something that already existed. But that alone was super helpful in like understanding how even just basic ideas of animation even worked Mm. before I knew anything about like actual principles of animation. It was just sort of like, okay, so if he's here and then these are like motion blur lines and stuff like this and the movements and everything. So I don't know if I still have that somewhere. Mm. I might. If I dug around enough, I might find like just a handful of square pieces of paper with Clopin in his stupid judge outfit. (laughs) Smacking a puppet. (laughs) It's also a good way to learn that when you pause animated movies, you come up with some really weird stills. (laughs) Yes, that's also true. And also, bear in mind, this was being done with a VHS player. Yeah. So it's like, you you miss a few frames. Like, it wasn't perfect. I was trying. I did my best. But yeah, that's kind of what kicked off, like, Hmm. me really thinking, like, I kind of want to be an animator someday. Cool. And shit, now I animate. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my god, I'm I'm an animator. The prophecy! Oh! <laughs> Thank you, Kupan. But no, I also remember in the book, because um, that was part of why I read it, because I was like, is he in the book? Oh, he is! Sick! I remember him, like, being kind of a dick. He's kind of a dick, but he's... <laughs> I mean, he's still the, the leader of yeah. his people, and... He's less jestery, of course. Less jestery, but also... He, he sends them off to battle. Yeah. It's kind of badass. <laughs> yeah. They go fight the building of Notre Dame. So Ooh, they, yeah, let's so go. So they can free Esmeralda. He gets shot, though, right? That's how he dies. I think he gets shot in a... Oh my gosh, I actually don't remember. Yeah, no. Oh, I, I remember how I remember other people that. die. I remember that Frollo's brother is killed by Quasimodo. That's dark. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, sorry. Now I'm just like, okay, is there anything else to say about Clopin? 
Other than the fact that, that nobody ever says his name right. Yeah. Clopin. Is, he's good at disguises in the book, too. So that was, Oh, that was I like, cool. I like then that they kind of worked that into the movie with him, like, changing his outfit and mm-hmm. stuff. And the fact that he does wear a mask most of the time, it kind of hides his identity when you think about, like, oh, yeah, this guy needs to protect himself because he's, like, mm-hmm. the leader. Yeah. And the fact that he, like, pieces out when, like, all the guards are showing up and Esmeralda's <laughs> being kind of chased around, like... See him anymore after that. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> but yeah, no, and I, I always loved, um, yeah, the Court of Miracles song. But of course, the Bells of Notre Dame is just the best. Yes. So good. It's amazing opening. I will be posting many songs on the Tumblr. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good plan. Oh, oh, what? oh. Um, I should have mentioned this before when we were talking about Quasimodo and we'd mentioned Out There. Something that we should definitely post is Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz's early demo. Oh. Where you've got Alan Menken singing as Quasimodo, singing out there. I didn't know Alan Menken had such a lovely voice. Oh. He sounds actually kind of a lot like Tom Holst, just oh. minus the, the fast vibrato. Um, and Stephen Schwartz is singing as Frollo. So it's, 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 mm. it's kind of cool. And you can hear a lot of the stuff that was cut and changed that, that that sequence at the beginning where it's Frollo and Quasimodo going on about how he's a monster and you should stay here safe inside. It's, it goes on longer. Oh, but anyway, we should definitely find that and share that. Cool. More characters. Yeah. We got <sighs> lots of gargoyles. Oh, the fucking gar- I forgot about, about the gargoyles. <laughs> so <sighs> I, I know I would have been upset by them if I had not read the book because there's something off about the them. Tone. The tone, yeah. Yeah. Because you can tell they're really trying to age this movie down. Yeah. But it's, it's, it doesn't pull through because of the whole subject matter of this entire movie. It doesn't work. And I think when it first came out and I saw it when I was younger, you know, the initial viewing where I was like, okay, I I like this movie, but I wasn't like obsessed with it. Like I was a few years later. I didn't even like the Gargoyles as much then. Like, I like huh. some of their lines. Yeah. Like, they, they have some funny lines, yeah. and I can acknowledge that now. Like, I like the Fly My Pretties thing back in the day. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, <laughs> and there, there, there are a few occasional gem moments, but I think I was already at a point where I was just like, this doesn't seem right. I was getting that vibe of, like, this, this doesn't mesh quite right. And it wasn't until later that I really understood, like, oh, yeah, it's, it's just totally makes absolutely no sense yeah. to have these wacky sidekick characters shifting for like one moment you've got them singing a guy like you and like Paris is fucking burning in the meantime. I know. What? <laughs> what is going on? And just Hugo in particular, like I don't have as much of an issue with Victor and Laverne. They're more subdued. But Hugo, I don't know if it's just Jason Alexander's performance or if it's just the way the character was written. I think it's the way the character was written because I think they were trying to go for that celebrity name to put on everything. And I love Jason Alexander. And he does a really good job. And I'm so glad that he gets a singing role because he's an amazing singer. He he does get to sing. It's a shame that the song is what it is and that that they exist, if I'm honest. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I, I love Jason Alexander, but all of the gargoyles should not have been written the way they were. Yes. It's okay, I think, to have them as characters, especially if you do view them with the, the common theory that they are just figments of Quasimodo's imaginations or projections of his own thoughts and emotions on things around him, because, of course, he probably is going to 
need to do that. He's been isolated <laughs> up there all by himself. He's gonna make his own friends. Yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> I liked that they added the thing where he makes little wooden figures of people in yes. town. That was really cool. That's really nice. Yeah, and he's got a hobby. I think this would have been better if they had stuck to the source material and have him talking to the bells. Yeah, which, which don't answer him back. That would have been so nice. Yeah. Like they 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 go they go out of their way to have him point out their names. Yeah. in the movie, but nothing more than that really. There is a part where he does talk to one of the gargoyles when he says, oh, were I stone like you? Because he's pining for Esmeralda. Uh, yeah. um, another thing to say about Jason Alexander, I'm currently in the middle of watching Seinfeld in its entirety. <laughs> so it's just weird to see him. I'm like, you're George Costanza right now. Why are you a gargoyle? That's funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. The other guys, the guy and girl, oh. were played by Charles Kimbrough. Kimbrough? Kimbrough. Him. And Mary Wicks. Rest in peace. Mary Wicks. This was her final speaking role. And she died, I think, even before she finished all of her lines. I think somebody else stepped in and did at least some of them. Yeah, it was Jane Withers. Okay, thank you. Um, I liked the character Victor because he was more subdued. And also he reminded me of the characters from Gargoyles. (laughs) No, he's... Like I said, like I I had less problems with him and Laverne than I did with Hugo. Mm -hmm. Laverne is likable. Maybe they gave him too much... He was just too, too much of the, the the crass comic relief. Yeah, there were parts where he was, his character was very much like the genie. Like in the song, A Guy Like You, yeah. I saw them doing this whole friend like me thing. Yeah. It's like, whatever, man. It was, it was only funny when they had Quasimodo in that wig. Yes, the <laughs> Mozart reference. <laughs> yeah. That was that was cute. Yeah. I'll give them that. But when uh, you've got... Just minutes before a windmill burning with people inside and Phoebus going in and saving them. And I'm actually like, my heart is going because I'm just like, oh my God, oh my God, this is really exciting stuff. And also I feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's chased down and shot at. And then we have stupid gargoyle singing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Moving on, uh, we got the Archdeacon played by David Ogden Steers. Yes. Likeable. He's yeah. likeable. Good, good character. Standard. He's... Kind of swoops in and saves the day at the beginning there. He is not lusting after Esmeralda. I don't know why I'm British all I don't, of a sudden. No. But he does make a comment about her creating quite a stir. Oh. I did oh, not well, like that. Because there's like a, a tone in his voice and a look on his face. I don't think he meant anything sexual by that. I think he was just more just like... You kind of caused a scene out there, lady. <laughs> it was a little chaotic because you were running around and catapulting guards through the air and I did not see that at all perception anyway we don't really have any other characters do we uh uh, just a bunch of guards one of them sounded like Patrick from Spongebob might have been a few of them were quite obviously Jim Cummings probably oh he's always a guard (laughs) (laughs) Phoebus has a horse Frollo has a horse they don't talk I'm glad yeah Achilles (laughs) heel (laughs) <laughs> I do like that he can sit on people's heads. That's cute. <laughs> Probably death, but still cute. Death by horse butt. Um, speak, actually, you know, circling back to the gargoyles, I actually was shocked and fascinated to realize that Victor quotes Shylock from The Merchant of Venice. Oh. Very randomly. Uh, the, the if you prick us, do we not bleed kind of thing. He's, he's talking, it's when he has the bucket on his head. And they're talking, he's, he says a, a riff on that, but it's more about like, uh, if you chip us, do we not break? I don't know, something oh, okay. like that. But I found it very interesting that they made a reference to that 
with with the whole like Shylock being Jewish and like that 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 sort of exploration of anti-Semitism in mm-hmm. a Shakespeare play of all things, and then sort of circling over to how the Roma are treated yeah. and othered, and it was like. Was that deliberate? Like, are, are we making, are we, are we creating little parallels? Are we making this reference for that reason? Or are we just throwing that in there for funsies? Who knows? Yeah. With this movie, who knows? <laughs> who knows, indeed. <laughs> Let's see here. Uh, one time where the humor did work. Oh. Uh, the I'm free, I'm free guy. Yes! <laughs> we all love the I'm free, I'm free we guy. We needed a third time. The rule of three people. <laughs> you failed, Hunchback. I, I don't know. I like the two. I feel like a third might have been too much. It might have overstepped its welcome then. <laughs> but I, I, I love that also the guy looks like the Jafar beggar form, yeah. too. Which makes me wonder if Kathy Zielinski worked on him. <laughs> or if that was just a fun throwaway thing. And We've we got some other ca- cameos, though. Yeah, well, when he falls into the sewer, it's spelled Monsewer. Monsewer. Yeah, that was clever. That but was very cute. Yes. Cam- um, cameo? Belle shows up reading a book mm-hmm. uh, in a sweeping shot during Out There, I think. And Pumbaa is being carried, like, he's 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 a carcass that's, like, being oh, carried through the streets. Like, Pumbaa. I know, like, what the I'm not sure if there are any others, but that those are the ones that always jumped out to me. Um, something I must point out is we already mentioned, or I already mentioned the use of 3D in the cathedral, which obviously, yes. Um, the amount of detail and research that yeah. went into the look of not just the cathedral, but Paris in general. Yeah. Of course they traveled there. Of course they, of course. they did their homework. They, they did all their studies. They did an amazing job. And speaking of someone who was at Notre Dame 10 years ago now, um, I was there 10 years ago and I did get to go up and stand up there amid all the gargoyles and everything Aww. and look out over Paris. Damn, they were spot on. Wow. Like it, it was crazy, like seeing some of that, watching this movie again. And I probably had seen it between then and now, but I wasn't really thinking about that. But yeah, like some of the roofs and some of the details of like the the actual gargoyles, not just the grotesques, but mm-hmm. all that stuff up there. I was just like, holy shit, this is it. This is this is 100% what it looks like, too. <laughs> so that's very cool that they, they managed to get that detailed. Yeah. But so going off of that, as well with like that being a lot of 3D used for a lot of the like backgrounds and structures and things, also 3D used for a lot of the crowds. Yeah, I noticed. And it's so fun because it's like that's something I noticed, yes, as a child and growing up. Like I could see that they were 3D crowds in the same way that I could see that the wildebeest were like generated things as opposed to individually hand drawn. Like there's a certain look to these mid nineties films when they incorporated the CG into 2D. It wasn't perfect. But what I never noticed was like when when they zoomed in on some of the crowds and you could just see how utterly horrifying oh, some of them look. I didn't notice. Oh man, we we, we gotta find some examples of that and post okay. them on the Tumblr because if, they're if, amazing. If we can find them. Yeah, they're very simplified, like kind of just shapes and they just they're all kind of polygonal and they, their movements are very stiff and it's just really, really funny. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so I, I don't think I had noticed that. But, you know, it, it works well enough for when they zoom out and you just see, like, yeah. the general crowd, like, during Topsy Turvy and during the, the fight at the end. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway, what else is there to talk about? Um, another cool thing that <sighs> happened in the book that I was really excited they put in the movie was when there's molten metal, metal yeah. pouring out of the spout's mouths mm-hmm. onto the crowd. 
right down. It was awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. And what what a spectacle in the movie as well. It just looks so good. So so, so I guess a little bit more about the music. Um, oh, obviously, yeah. we, we talked about the songs a bit. We did. Um, do you have a favorite song? I, I used to think that Hellfire would be my favorite, but I think the lyrics are a bit too simplistic. Mm, fair enough. And I think the first one, or the first song. Yeah. yeah. That has to be my favorite. Same. Not just because it's awesome, but also because chorus. Yes. So that's what I wanted to talk about is the chorus. Um, I guess they, 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 this is the English National Opera Company, and the, the, they're, they're, they're incredible <laughs> full chorus, singing their Kyrie liaisons and everything. And you've got a hundred-year-old organ. Just, oh my God. It, yeah. it, the, the power behind this. And I love that, like, the main theme that we opened the, the movie with and, like, one of the main themes of the whole show, the, the bomb, 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 bomb. It's actually the chorus of Hellfire. Yeah. And, like, it, it, that's, like, that's so cool that that is what, that theme is really it's kind of the main theme of the movie yeah and it all comes back to frollo being a a horny bastard Mm -hmm. (laughs) i I really think that not just the themes behind the story but the music were too sophisticated for the crowd they were trying to market this for yes um and i think that's that's honestly one of the big issues with unfortunately with hunchback and how it was received at the time because it didn't perform amazingly they tried to spin it so that they're like oh well it was doing as well as this movie did its first weekend or things like that i don't think it even did as well as pocahontas but critically it it you know like people i think liked it better but still it it was hard for it, it, it it wasn't able to reach certain people because yes it was a little bit sophisticated it was a little bit dark not more than a little bit it was dark it was um, I mean, I love it. Oh, yeah. No. But... <laughs> I, I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of people just in general, not necessarily us, but uh, people in general have looked back at this in some ways more fondly because mm-hmm. of the darkness and appreciating what they were trying to do. And like, you know what? We appreciate that now. But also looking at it with a more critical lens because of the issues we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. There's There's so much that's good about this. And then there's these things that, again... Flawed masterpiece, I think, sums up this this movie. Yeah. And on that note, on that note, whew, what else we got? I, Not I much. Mean, uh, I have another very silly criticism. Okay. Um, you know how Disney Plus puts little warnings about, oh, this has like a little violence or something. What do they use. say for this movie? All they say is contains tobacco depictions, and I'm like. Is that it? Uh, Disney? <laughs> the people at Disney are still getting this movie wrong. They still don't understand what they've done. <laughs> Do you know? I think I have to mention at least the directors. We've got Gary Trousdale, 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 whatever. And uh, Kirk Wise, again. Uh, we've, we've already had them involved before with, with very important films. Um, and also, something I thought was kind of funny. They, they themselves... Uh, seem to think that the gargoyles are Quasi's, like, imagination. Mm. So it's like, it's not just a fan theory. The directors even mention it. <laughs> it's like, that's hilarious to So me. we have Quasimodo to blame. It all comes back to blaming Quasimodo for Aww. things that aren't his fault. Oh, no! Um, God, I mean, there's, there's, there's... I can mention the opera Tosca, but that would be completely like, what? No. Why? There's a reason why, but... Oh. Scarpia, the... 
the villain, um, who's the chief of police in that, is obsessed with the character of Tosca, who's a kind of fiery woman. Ah. And he's like in a church when he's singing about this. And it's like, hmm, <laughs> do I detect some Frollo and Esmeralda vibes here? It's just, it, it, and it's similar with like powerful music and uh, an organ and stuff like that. It's like, hmm, I think there's, yeah, I get those vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else? Oh, Someday. The song Someday. The someday when we are wiser. When da, 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 oh, da. I don't know that. Um, so that's in the that's in, <laughs> it's in the credits. That's why <laughs> oh. it was going to be in the movie itself, and like kind of like if I never knew you from Pocahontas, it was relegated to the oh, credits. Yeah. Um, however, it did not actually have like a scene in the movie that got cut that got to be reinstated in a version. We never. I don't. I don't know if we ever. I don't know if I know where it was supposed to be in the movie, but it would have been nice to have heard that because the theme does appear throughout the the movie. The the motif, I guess. Another lovely song that I enjoy. Yeah, at this point, it's just a matter. It was just like, I like this thing. And then there's also this thing that I liked. And I like this. And this. So I, I feel like that's a... I, I might as well just wrap up, right? Because yeah. otherwise it's just going to be never-ending. Like, oh, and then this part. Yeah. Oh, and this this part. I have one more quote from the book. Because okay. I cannot resist. It's just way too good. Um, it's like... Throughout the book, even though Victor Hugo calls Esmeralda all these horrible things, we end up learning that she is the most um, innocent and angelic person in the entire novel, in the entire city, maybe. Okay. And um, there's a part where Clopin has rallied the troops to go and attack Notre Dame Mm -hmm. and save her from the gallows, because even though she has sanctuary, she's probably going to be dragged out of there at some point. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, whatever, whatever, whatever happens. So, so all of the Roma are standing outside Notre Dame and they're making a declaration. Here's why we're here. We're going to, you know, do this to you if such and such doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And Clopin yells, if your church is sacred, so is our sister. If our sister is not sacred, neither is your church. Booyah. <laughs> Tell it like it is, Clopin. <laughs> But then, yeah, Quasimodo's deaf, so he doesn't hear that. So they th- he thinks that the Roma are here to capture no! Esmeralda. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, <sighs> uh, alas. But um, gosh, I don't know. Is it a, a, a final? You okay? I have fainted. You all right there? <laughs> I'm exhausted by this episode. I'm still invigorated because all I can think of is just like how how do we close this out? I mean, I guess maybe one final question. Okay. Uh, what makes a monster and what makes a man? Um, fools! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> On that note, I think we're done. Um, so what, Beffers, are we watching next time? We're gonna have fun next time. It's yeah. Beavis a Butthead do America. No way, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a fun. Oh my god. Okay. What a what a shift coming from Hunchback of Notre Dame and this deep discussion to Beavis a Butthead do America. <laughs> Mike Judge, let's go. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we'll see you guys next time. Bye now. Bye bye. Oh my god. <laughs>
it's not um, Frodo. Fro- Frodo. <laughs> Frodo. 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 Oh, dear. Oh, no. Oh, no. Frodo. Frollo. <laughs> oh, Mr. Frodo. No. <laughs>